Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. A broken-wristed Paul Mancano here with you, joined by Brandon Mortensen. And later on in this podcast, we're going to be joined by Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun. But for now, Brendan, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the outfield situation with the Orioles, a suddenly crowded yeah. outfield, and how the Orioles are going to sort that out in this coming off season and going into 2021. But first, Brendan, my question for you, mm-hmm. if you could change one rule in baseball, what would it be? Because we have seen this expanded playoff format take hold now in 2020, 16 teams make it this year. And we're now hearing Rob Manfred say they're looking at it for 2021, which means we are going to have a ridiculous number of teams in the playoffs, maybe for the rest of time. So they are just throwing the old school rules out the door and just adopting, I guess, whatever works. So, Brendan, my question for you, what rule would you change? Uh, I, I would not expand the playoffs uh, would be my, my realistic un, unexpand. Them. What's the what's the uh, condense? Condense. Well, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't condense them from where unpan uh, from where they were. La- I liked last year's format i think the wild card play-in game is I fun hate, I, I know you hate it. I hate it uh that would be my realistic rule change is to keep the playoff format the way it was last year okay uh, i i do not like this current playoff format um if i were to change a rule in the game um this is a, a stupid one and i think it would just be funny i think in in any count a batter should be able to drop their bat and run to first, but the pitcher has to tag them out. I just think it would be pure chaos, and I think it would be fun. See, I think you're setting up pitchers to injure themselves oh, in so many ways. I absolutely. mean, torn hamstrings. I mean, twisted ankles. The, I yeah. don't know if you've seen... The, the dawn of the athletic pitcher would be... Bo- I don't not know to if say you've seen there aren't athletic Sabathia, pitchers, but I cannot Whoa. imagine him attempting to outrace... Byron Buxton. That is why chaos would base. ensue. <laughs> I think it would just so be your fun. Goal, so the goal of this rule change is simply yes. chaos. Yes. Well, along those lines, Brendan, my rule change, I thought about, I've thought about this on, your honestly rule change since I was a kid. is arguably why, more chaotic. Why is a runner out if he's out of the base pass? Why not? So many just reasons. Get, get rid of that rule and just have guys be able to Go where, look, if you're caught in a rundown between first and second, why do you just have to go back and forth between the base? You should be able to s- just take off for right field. Well, while you're at it, go to the parking lot, get your car, drive around the parking lot. <laughs> at that exactly. point, there I are mean, no rules. It, this the, the rundown is going to take to 95 at some point. Yeah, it's going it to be in the tunnel. It has to. I'm just imagining like a Keystone Cops-like situation right. or a Scooby-Doo where they're going in and out of different doors. Well, at that point, see we guys, need a helicopter camera for the high-speed yes. chase. Wouldn't it be so much fun? It would. I, imagine Byron Buxton. I, I use him because he's just ridiculously fast. Yeah. Or Trey Turner, somebody like that. Just sprinting <laughs> anywhere he can go. 
like as if he were a fan running onto the field trying not to get tased by uh, yeah. security, just going anywhere he possibly could, doing you know some evasive moves. We see some like shimmy shake, some Barry Sanders type stuff. I really think it could get fun. Oh, that would be a fun rule change too. If you are out of pinch runners, you can select one random person from the stands, and they can be <laughs> your pinch runner. Only if if the freezes. Remember that guy? Yeah, the freezes there. Yeah. yeah. Look, if, if if in hockey you can just drop the gloves and fight during the middle of a hockey game, I think you should be able to just have a sprint chase. Sure, all those over the field. those two things are equivalent. Hot fighting is not is not a uh, it's a part of hockey. I guess. It is. Whatever. It is. We're, a, we're opening a can of words, worms here. Uh, let's talk about this outfield. Brandon. Sure, uh, yeah. because I said off the top that it is suddenly jammed, but suddenly meaning last year in 2019 they were throwing Hansi or Alberto in the outfield because they had nobody else. And in 2020, now they are loaded. There's a glut of outfielders, a surplus, if you will, of outfielders on this team. But we can see this coming for a few years now because we knew before this rebuild even kicked off that the one of the strengths of the Orioles' farm system, especially that buoy team of 2017, 2018, was outfielders because you had, uh, you know, Mount Castle who was eventually converted to outfield, played a little first place base, and of course was an infielder. You had uh, Austin Hayes, who was waiting to make his major league debut for several years and, and did in 2017. You had uh, Ryan McKenna, who is now pushing for the big leagues. So you've had a group of guys there, and now they are all reaching the big leagues at roughly the same time. And Brandon Hyde right now is does not have a difficult situation managing them, because of injuries, but come 2021, that could be a potentially precarious situation. A good problem to have is having too many good outfielders, but managing them is going to be a challenge. Well, I think it's a, it's a combination of the prospects coming along at that pace with them now meeting guys that you didn't really expect to be staples in that outfield. Maybe a guy like a Cedric Mullins wasn't a top guy in the prospect rankings, but has come up and played really solidly, especially defensively in center fields to the point where it, it would be a surprise if he wasn't your center fielder going forward because he adds that much value defensively. And then, of course, there's kind of a log jam at first base as well, which is bumping out a guy like a Ryan Mountcastle and a Trey Mancini into now playing the corner outfield spots where they would normally be maybe a first base or a DH. So the corner outfield is incredibly crowded, and you've got two center fielders in Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins that both add a ton of value defensively to the point where you'd probably want to put one of them in a corner outfield to just, you know, make that a whole big mess again. But it, like you said, it's a good problem to have, to have too many good yes. outfielders right now. At this point in the 2020 season, we have Austin Hayes in the outfield, DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins. For the most part, those three have been manning the outfield because you have, uh, well, Ryan Mountcastle, of course, making his first appearance at first base. He would be in left uh, as well. You have Anthony Santander, who is uh, done for the year with an oblique strain. And then you have two guys waiting to make their major league debuts, Yusniel Diaz and Ryan McKenna. Diaz, a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system. Uh, McKenna in the 25-ish range or 20-ish range in the system as well, who is both those guys were at Bowie waiting to make their major league debuts. They're at the Bowie alternate site as we speak. And of course, Trey Mancini. And who then played you have a lot Trey Mancini, right who yeah. played a lot of right field. 
So all of these things, there are a ton of factors here um, that Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde are going to have to consider going into this offseason because you are going to have to, at a certain point, you know, it is a good problem to have, but you have to clear out a little bit of this logjam because otherwise you might end up stunting the development of some of these exciting young players. If you don't give them enough playing time or you have to shove them down in the minor leagues when they are ready to be at the big league level, you could end up stunting development. Yeah, I, I broke this down into a few different categories when looking at next year. You've got uh, Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle, who, yes, are corner outfielders right now, but will probably next year, I would say, see more time at first base and DH. Well, I think I think Trey Mancini at this point, I think he was used in the outfield because they wanted to see if he had that versatility and also because he had Chris Davis as your everyday first baseman. I think Trey Mancini from now on is going to be your is going to be at first base. Yeah. If I were to guess, I would say that Trey Mancini is probably the regular first baseman yeah. in 2021. The difficulty here and it is that of course he is coming off chemotherapy treatments. Right. Which he of course, has said that he is going to be ready for the 2021 season. The organization has said they expect him to be ready for the 2021 season. Um, and knowing Trey, he is going to want to be out there every single day at first base. But of course, you have to take it a Absolutely. little bit slow. You have to give the guy a little bit of time to recover because he just, in addition to all of the terrible things that chemotherapy does to your body, it also just weakens you and doesn't give you enough time or energy to stay in shape. So, you don't want to get him hurt. You want to make sure that he uh, gets the time off that he needs, especially to start the season. And if you get into the middle of the year and he's feeling fine, absolutely throw him out there every day. But I think he's going to get, you know, be playing maybe every other day at first base. Maybe try some DH. But I think he is going to primarily be at first base when he does play. And I don't think there's a problem with that either. I mean, you no. can give him plenty of time at first. You can give him a lot of time at DH. Because the value that Trey Mancini is giving you is on the offensive side. Yeah, uh, He is solid defensively, but you want his bat in the middle of the lineup. So he's probably, yes, going to get plenty of off days, especially towards the beginning of the season. But realistically, he was probably going to be in that first baseman DH role anyway. Yeah. So it's probably not changing his role too awful much for the 2021 season but I kind of group him with Ryan Mountcastle for next year I think Mountcastle has looked decent in left field he hasn't really been hurting the Orioles but he's also not giving you a lot yeah, we, in left field we described him as not noticeable right which is a good thing for somebody who came up and the concern was the the defense Right, but it, you haven't really noticed him in left field, which is a good thing. But I think for next year, his role is most likely going to be similar to Trey Mancini, that first base DH role, because at the end of the day, you need his bat in the middle of the lineup, and you're going to find a way to get that bat right. into the middle of the lineup. So, so I, I group those two together. So you have now Trey Mancini, who's going to be playing maybe every other day at first base. You have Ryan Mountcastle, who can fill in at first, who can play left field, and can be a DH. Then you have two guys, Chris Davis and Renato Nunez, who are at this point first baseman or DH. Can't really do much else with those two. That is where the logjam gets even trickier. Because if you didn't have, if you had neither of those guys, you would be able to play Ryan Mountcastle at first base whenever Trey Mancini is not there. 
and just have those two switch off be a DH whenever needed, whenever, you know, the the all the outfield and first base positions are taken up. So we we can at this point I think just assume that Chris Davis is going to be on the roster for twenty twenty one. So you have him on the team. Renato Nunez, could he be the odd man out of an outfield logjam? As weird as that sounds. Yeah, I, I think realistically there might be two guys out of this outfield logjam, and I think Renato Nunez might be the first one. Even he's, though he doesn't play he's outfield. He's not an outfielder. <laughs> it, realistically, Nunez probably isn't going to give you as much value offensively as either Trey Mancini or Ryan Mountcastle. I, I think if you're Brandon Hyde, you would probably rather put those two guys in the middle of the lineup rather than Renato Nunez. Does Nunez still give you value offensively? Absolutely. But if you have, let's say you've got Trey Mancini DHing and Ryan Mountcastle at first, Nunez doesn't really have anywhere to go. Let's say, I think really the only scenario in which Nunez is in the lineup, okay, I'll say two scenarios. The first one is if you put Ryan Mountcastle in left and Trey Mancini and Renato Nunez are doing some combination of playing first base and DHing, and Chris Davis is out of the lineup. Yeah. But then if Ryan Mountcastle is in left, somebody in the outfield is getting bounced out. There, there's almost too many pieces that need to fall perfectly into place for Renato Nunez to see the lineup. The only other way that I see him is maybe they try him at third? But I, he, I don't know. They have tried that experiment, I think, and, and it has not, not gone well. For the yeah. most part. And I don't think they if if Rio Ruiz is on the team for next year, I think they want they would ha- prefer to have Rio in there for his defensive value. Um and Renato is does bring more offensively to the table than Rio, but I think they would probably opt for Rio in that case. So <laughs> he is he is kind of weirdly on the outside looking yeah. in because of this log jam. Um and then in terms of he, he might be able to get some tr- kind of trade value, I would think. Yeah. I would think he's not a DFA candidate, but I don't know how much trade value he would bring you considering he doesn't really play positive defensive first base and he is primarily a DH. I think there, there could be a scenario next year where the Orioles ease Trey Mancini into things. You know, don't give him a ton of games at that first base DH role right away try to get him back into baseball form a little bit where Nunez is getting playing time where he's at DH or he's at first base. Maybe in that scenario, by the time that Mancini is, is geared up and good to go, because we're assuming that, you know, Trey is going to be good to go for the 2021 season. If he isn't, if he, if he isn't on track, then maybe Nunez has a bigger role next year, but I could see a scenario where they ease Trey back into things Nunez plays towards the beginning of the season, has solid value, and if the universal DH is kept for next season, which it sounds like it probably will be, maybe Nunez has more value across the league if more teams who were not otherwise prepared for that universal DH, maybe in the National League, maybe they are now in need of a guy like Renato Nunez who can be a good DH bat. So I, I think he could have some trade value. So in addition to the potential universal DH being a long-term permanent thing how large are rosters going to be in 2021 because they were supposed to be 26 i believe 
before the sport got shut down in March. So they were already adding a roster spot to every team. Then this whole thing happened, and rosters are about 28 now. I think they're, if I had to guess, I would think they're probably just going to go back to 26 for next year. So that creates an extra roster spot, which might help alleviate the Orioles a little bit here. But ultimately, I think they cannot, they would be hard-pressed to go into the 2021 season with all of these guys on the roster. Mancini, Hayes, Nunez, Stewart, Mullins, Mountcastle, Santander, Davis. I think I got them all. That's eight guys who are either outfielders, first baseman, or DH. And that's not even taking Yusniel Diaz and Ryan McKenna into account who could get called up at some point. And the problem with those guys is, I guess you could call them utility guys, but they can't play any other infield position. I don't think any of the guys that I mentioned, you know, maybe we, we talked about Ryan Mountcastle was played at, got nine games at the AAA level last year at third base. Of course, he was drafted as a shortstop third baseman, but it to to our knowledge, it appears that they have pretty much abandoned having him on a, the left side of the infield. So I think that only in an emergency situation would they want to stick Ryan Mountcastle at third base in the future. I, I think it was an experiment worth having, and we were kind of saying before that, that maybe the Orioles will look at this outfield situation and wish that they had given that experiment a little bit more time. They, the problem is they gave it so much time, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. but it, it is just a shame because that would have been a clear, clear path for him. Oh, absolutely. And he, he was drafted as a shortstop. Yeah. He was drafted as a shortstop who people thought that, you know, because he was bigger, maybe he could shift over to third base and do a better job there. But now, of course, he's kind of in that first base DH role and could play a corner outfield as well. But looking at the corner outfielders, that's crowded as well. It. There's another category that I have. I I had two more guys grouped together, and that's Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins. And those are the two guys that I think offer you so much value defensively that you have to put them in the outfield no matter where they are. I think Cedric Mullins probably sticks in center. We heard Brandon Hyde say that Cedric Mullins should be considered for a gold glove in center field. He's played that well. And he's hitting the ball better. I mean, we've we've talked about Cedric Mullins bunting up for to, base hits. Yeah, up to like 275. He yeah. steals bases, of course. He's a great leadoff hitter. Yeah. And Mullins and Hayes are kind of occupying the same space for you in that lineup where they could both be leadoff hitters or maybe you put them in the eight or nine and say, okay, be a second leadoff hitter at the bottom of the lineup. Right. Well, to me, Cedric Mullins is a perfect fourth outfielder because primarily a center fielder, but in a pinch, you can stick him in right or left. And he's still going to play those pretty well. Perfect pinch runner, so he can come off the bench um, in a tight game and just you know just try to steal a bag here or there. So Mullins, in my mind, strikes me as a perfect fourth outfielder, which would put Hayes as your everyday center fielder. So I see that being not terribly too much of an issue. Um, however, you do probably lose just a tiny bit going from Mullins to Hayes in center field defensively. And then you got to worry about the outfield, the, the corner outfield spots because you have TJ Stewart and you still have Ryan Mountcastle in left. Uh, and you still have Anthony Santander coming back. How do you work? How do you parse through that? Well, I'm going to 
disagree with you a bit there in that I think Cedric Mullins is better as your mostly everyday center fielder rather than your fourth outfielder. I think, personally, I would rather have Cedric Mullins occupying center and Austin Hayes in left with Anthony Santander in right. Uh, This is, again, assuming that you put Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini at that first base DH swap. For me, I I would put Austin Hayes in left. Mm -hmm. We saw him there last night. He had an outfield assist, could have had two, looked really good there. He's adding value for you defensively, as well as being a solid bat in the lineup. I don't know. I don't know how long that solid bat is going to last. That's that's my one issue. For is Hayes, he's hitting, no, for for Mullins. for Cedric Mullins, because he's hitting two seventy five. Still does not walk a lot, um, which could be an issue, especially if they want to put him near the top of the lineup. Ideally, you would like a guy that is going to walk more, and he can bunt for base hits. But I don't know. I feel like today's leadoff hitter, you have to have a little bit more pop and a little bit more consistency at the plate than Mullins. It, look, he's been great in 2020. I just worry given his track record, given how much he struggled, not just at the major league level in 2019, but also to start the season before he got optioned in 2020. I would have some concern sticking him in, in center field and in the lineup every single day. Yes, I agree there, but I think if he is playing a gold glove caliber center field it's tough to keep him out (laughs) and with his speed I don't think you can keep him out I mean I look at a guy like Byron Buxton who we've talked about a lot on this podcast for for some reason for some reason Byron Buxton keeps getting brought up let me be clear I am in no way comparing Cedric Mullins's defense to Byron Buxton's defense Byron Buxton is a platinum glove he is also the fastest player in the league those two are not the same those two are not the same Uh, but Cedric Mullins I think gives you a similar value to Byron Buxton. Buxton hasn't really been a good hitter. He hit above 260 in his career once. But he's he needs to be in the lineup every single day because he gives you the speed on the base paths and he plays a fantastic defensive center field. Yes, but the Twins, to follow this analogy, I guess, the Twins are a better hitting team than Oh, absolutely. Yours. They have more... They have... <laughs> know Nelson Cruz in that lineup every day they have right. a very stacked lineup that the Orioles lineup is going to be improved and we've talked about it in 2021 but I don't know if they have enough firepower to make up for the fact that Cedric Mullins might play every game next year and only hit four homers well I think with the outfield as well I think realistically at the start of the 2021 season your four outfielders are going to be Hayes Mullins Santander and DJ Stewart I have more confidence that Cedric Mullins will carve out more value in the outfield playing that good defensive center field than DJ Stewart would give you in right. That, that, that yeah. is my opinion. I think DJ Stewart probably becomes that fourth outfielder where if he is hitting well, if he's on a hot streak, you put him in a corner outfield and then maybe you bump Austin Hayes to center. Or if Austin Hayes isn't hitting as yeah. well, you just take Austin Hayes out, move those guys around. The- the only thing to me is just, do you have room? Will you have room on your roster for Nunez, DJ Stewart, Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, and Chris? You know, those... I, I think Stewart and Nunez... None of those guys can play center field. DJ yeah. can't play first base. All of these guys have overlapping skill sets. Right. I think Stewart and Nunez might be the two that I look at and say they might be the odd men out. So... For, for Nunez, we talked about a trade candidate. DJ Stewart won't qualify for arbitration for two more years. He has, I believe, 
according to Fangraphs, one option left, as does Cedric Mullins. So he can be optioned down to the, uh, I guess, the minor leagues next year, as crazy as that sounds, not the alternate site, yeah. and still not be subject to waivers, I believe. So that might help. It would suck for DJ Stewart to start next year in Norfolk, considering he might end this season with a OPS over one and like in the top three on the Orioles team in, in home runs. So he has deserved a role in this outfield. Yeah. But I just don't know if you can, you know, so, and, and I don't think that he still, despite all that, I don't think he has much trade value. I think right. Nunez has much more trade value than DJ Stewart does because he has a larger track record. Yeah, I, this is this is the issue. There, there is nobody that yeah. is that you look at in this mess of guys and say they are clearly the one that should not be a part of the Orioles right. outfield conversation in 2021. And the the other problem is they're all still fairly young. Right. Hayes is 20, and this is for their 2021 seasons. Their age going to be on opening day. 25 for Austin Hayes. DJ Stewart is the oldest of the bunch of 27. Cedric Mullins is going to be 26. Mountcastle is going to be 24. Santander is going to be 26. Uh, Mancini, I believe, is going to be 28. So all these guys are still so young. So it's not like you almost wish that one of these guys were 32 or 30 so that you could more easily deal him. Um, But it just makes it tough. And then, I mean, I think we can agree, though, Santander should be in the lineup every single day. Absolutely. If if he can be. I think he falls into a kind of a a category on his own when I was looking at these guys where he gives you a lot of value offensively and he's like, he's pretty good in the outfield. Yeah, he's he's fine. Improving. Yeah, he is fine defensively in right field. So the only thing that uh, complicates Anthony Santander's position with this team long term Still 26 years old, going to be in 2021. Qualifies for arbitration for the first time this offseason. We know that this Orioles team is looking to, at this point, as well they should, try to to save a little bit of money because you want to save that money for when you're good and you have to go out and get a $300 million free agent. So, you, you know, it doesn't make much sense to overpay a guy, if you will, for a, the 2021 season, a season you will most likely not be competitive. We saw arbitration an arbitration number affecting the fact that the Orioles wanted to deal Jonathan VR last year they might have been able to keep him had he not been eligible for arbitration and ended up getting over eight million I believe so Santander is not going to get that much given he's are eligible for arbitration just for the first time this offseason however he will get a pay bump and none of these other guys as mentioned these outfielders are going to get pay bumps like that they are still going to be pre-arbitration eligible. So does that make him a little, does that make Michael Elias a little bit more inclined to try to deal an Anthony Santander? I, I don't I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can deal an Anthony Santander right now. Because let, let's not forget the beginning of this season. Yes, Anthony Santander is out right now. And yes, Ryan Mountcastle is lighting the world on fire in the middle of the lineup. But let's not forget that before Ryan Mountcastle got called up to the Orioles. Anthony Santander was the guy in the middle of this Orioles lineup and was having an unbelievable season. I mean, if there was an all-star team in 2020, Anthony Santander would have been on it. He was the guy in the middle of the Orioles lineup. I don't think you can discount that. 
because I think no matter what you give him in arbitration this year, I think he's worth it because he's not going to get a ton. It's his first year of arbitration, and he was trending down a little bit towards the end of his season before he got injured to the point where his average was closer to where it was last season. But, you know, he's still improving. The walk numbers are better. The strikeout numbers are better. I think no matter what you pay him this offseason, he's going to be worth it, and I think he should be the staple in right field for the Orioles next year. Underlying this whole conversation is how long, how many of these guys are going to be part of the long-term picture, not just the 2021 picture, because the Orioles, believe it or not, are moving from the phase of, especially when it comes to this outfield, a little bit less, let's see what we have, let's just throw guys out there, and a little bit more of who's going to be a long-term piece. They they might have to make the those decisions earlier than planned. Because yeah. Santander, absolutely, I think, I, I totally agree. He's going to be worth whatever he costs in 2021. But the two guys that we still have not talked about are Ryan McKenna and Yusniel Diaz. And do the Orioles think that they might have more in a Yusniel Diaz or Ryan McKenna, most likely Diaz, than they would in a Santander? And are they willing to take that risk and, you know, risk looking bad in the long term if Santander continues to produce in favor of spreading out this outfield and bringing Yusniel Diaz up at some point? And that's not even to mention in three years, you've got Heston Kerstad. You've got Heston Kerstad, who, I mean, if if Michael Elias is aboard at home for the 2023-4 Orioles, he's got Heston Kerstad in right He field. has to be, yeah. because that's that's your number two overall pick. Yeah. And Heston Kerstad is probably going to be in right field. Right. And, probably. And so where's where's Ryan Mountcastle going to be at that point? Where's Yusniel Diaz? Where's Austin At Hayes? that point, you have 37 outfielders <laughs> and nowhere to put them. But this is, again... You said that, you know, underlying this conversation are are the issues of going forward. This is an awesome issue for the Baltimore Orioles right now. You have a lot of good pieces that could be solid contributors in the offense and in the outfield right now. And that is a really good problem to have. I I, I will concede that I think if if you see enough from Diaz in the minors where you think that he should get some time in the outfield, it's probably in right, but I don't know. In that case, maybe you could put him in left, shift Austin Hayes over to center, and then Cedric Mullins becomes the fourth outfielder. But then if Mullins and Hayes are playing really well, you can't take them out. And if Santander is continuing to improve, you can't take him out. Yeah. I don't know. There are there are so many pieces. And I think that this, while it is an awesome, uh, for the eighth time, is an awesome problem yes. to have, you can look bad. In several years, absolutely. If you make the if you try to make a deal here and you make the wrong deal, if you try to deal an Anthony Santander because you say, "Well, we have such great depth in the outfield, we think that Diaz and Mountcastle and all these guys are going to be better long term in the outfield," and you trade away Anthony Santander and he becomes an all star somewhere else, that could end up biting you in the back. So, you know, or if they try to force a deal, try to deal. Renato Nunez to a team, and he ends up being a, a superb DH somewhere else. So you can, I think of, to make a basketball analogy, I think of the Rockets trading away James Harden because he had so many guys, and you were like, well, we'll be okay without him. We, uh, was the, no, the Thunder, not the Rockets. Yeah. The Thunder yeah, yeah, yeah. trading away because we have Kevin Durant, and we have 
Russell Westbrook. So we already have two. We can't really pay um, right. Harden long term, and we have two All Stars already here. So we'll be okay without him. And even if it blows up in our face, we'll still be really good. Well, it blew up in their face because then they lost all three eventually. Right. So it can be treacherous because all these guys still have not hit their ceilings. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Here's another thing I just thought of oh, with great. Anthony Santander. I'm going off on a million ta- tangents here. I feel like that episode of Always Sunny where Charlie has the board and he's yep. moving everything everywhere. That's how I feel right now. There is no Pam. <laughs> there is no Pam. So what if, here's a question for you, Paul. Mm-hmm. You move Anthony Santander because you say, okay, I think Yusniel Diaz is going to be good in right field. Yusniel Diaz comes up, doesn't really produce. Anthony Santander becomes an all-star somewhere else. In that scenario... Even though you've gotten rid of Anthony Santander, you could still put Ryan Mountcastle <laughs> in left field yes. and have Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes right, in center and right. Yes, but there's a chance right. both those guys don't work out, Cedric Mullins or Austin Hayes. Yeah. There is still a chance, and I think Mountcastle is the surest thing on this team right now in terms of the future going forward. But do you want him in the outfield? But everybody else is is still... But do you want him in the outfield? And everybody else is still subject to change. Yeah. All very confusing. And I'm, I'm I've gl- confused myself. I'm glad I don't have to worry about this. So to recap, real quickly. <laughs> to recap. There 2021, are- oh, what, what do you think opening day, let's say the best version, opening day 2021 Orioles, who's your starting lineup and where do you have people? Ignore the infield. Of the guys that we've talked about, in terms of where you put everyone, I think if Trey Mancini is good to go, you DH Trey Mancini. Okay. Put Ryan Mountcastle at first. Austin Hayes in left because I'm yep. a sucker for a good defensive outfielder and I want Austin Hayes in the lineup. Cedric Mullins in center because I've been on the Cedric Mullins bandwagon yep. all year. And Anthony Santander in right with DJ Stewart as your fourth outfielder and Renato Nunez. And Chris Davis. And Chris Davis out of the lineup. I, I think that would be my ideal opening day lineup. With Renato Nunez potentially being dealt. Yes. With Renato Nunez hopefully getting enough playing time throughout the 2021 season to be a potential trade piece for no other reason other than there's no room for him. I tend to agree with you. Okay. I think that's probably how... I think that's, at this point, it could go any number of ways, but that is the most likely outcome at this point. I think the second most likely outcome is Cedric Mullins is your fourth outfielder, Santander in right, Hayes in center, Mountcastle in left, Mancini at first, Nunez as your DH, Davis on the bench. Yeah. But we got plenty of time to think about that. (laughs) So many months left. And frankly, we're not the ones making those decisions. Thank goodness. Thank goodness indeed. Because we have... We have tried to figure it out, and and we can't. Honestly, Cedric Mullins would be... I talked about Byron Buxton. Cedric Mullins would be an exciting player to try that rule out. Oh, yeah. With, with no... Not worrying about being in the base pass. I want to see Cedric Mullins just sprinting... He'd be know, great into at the it. tunnel, and they're chasing him with a glove. He comes Pure out chaos. of uh, the, you know, the center field. They have, like, the carpet in center field. He's trying to get to second. He's running through the stands. Great stuff. Pandemonium. Uh, we talked to... Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun about the relievers on this team and John Means and the turnaround that he has experienced in the second half of this 2020 season. Here is that conversation. 
Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun now joins the Masson All Access podcast. Nathan, thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, Paul, thanks for having me. So first off, how has your season been going uh, working with John Miolik, trying to cover this season, and also you're doing a little bit of double duty on the news side, correct? Yeah, the, basically since the pandemic hit and, and spring training got shut down back in March, I've been helping out with the Suns coronavirus coverage. So it uh, definitely hasn't, even though there hasn't been a whole lot of baseball over the most of the last six months, it's definitely uh, been a busy time. But uh, it's great to be covering baseball. It's great to be able to watch some baseball. Uh, it's great to be watching an Orioles team that has much improved over, la- over last year's squad. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely been an interesting season just being unable to like actually face-to-face interact with these players and get to know them and tell their stories in the same way that we normally would. But obviously it's a, it's a much more interesting season in terms of the standings, in terms of who's on the roster than maybe what we got to deal with last year. And somebody who has improved during this season, not just from 2019 to 2020, uh, but even mid-season, I guess if you could split it into halves, first month, second month, John Means has been awesome his last two starts, uh, very much a different pitcher through the first month of the season, obviously dealing with, uh, you know, the the passing of his father, going on the bereavement list, taking a while to return, just didn't seem like the same kind of pitcher. And then he comes back in these past two starts, nearly identical, six innings, just one earned run in these past two starts. What do you think has changed and turned around John Means' 2020 season? Yeah, it's interesting. You look at when he was able to, to finally make his debut coming back from from the arm fatigue that started him se- his season on the IL. He was throwing about 95 miles per hour, sometimes hitting 96. And I think a lot of us are pretty um, shocked by that. Pretty, you know, That wasn't something we expected to see, didn't get to see him um, much in spring training. He threw on backfields a lot, didn't get to see him um, in summer camp outside of the inner squad. So for him to go out there and the first time we're getting stat cast metrics on him and he's hitting 95, 96, I think that that really caught some people off guard, but at the same time, he wasn't really getting results with it. As Brandon Hyde has put it recently, he's kind of thrown out of frustration. And then you look at his last two starts and both of them averaging 93.3 miles per hour with his fastball. So even though that's the slowest he's thrown his fastball this year, it's still about a mile per hour harder than he was throwing it last year. So he, he's toned back the velocity a bit, focused a lot more on his command. His changeup has really improved. Hitters are one for 13 against that pitch in his last two starts, whereas they're slugging nearly 700 against it in his first handful of starts. So he, he's really found a way to kind of get back in that groove, start pitching more like he, like he did last year. Um, he, he said he's kind of starting to feel like himself again, which is going to be really important for these Orioles down the stretch and also going into next year. Yeah, speaking of next year, now you have a couple guys added to this rotation and Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken will appear to be long-term pieces and will certainly likely be fixtures in this rotation in 2021. How do you think John Means fits into that picture? Because he was supposed to be the opening day starter in 2020 for obvious reasons, but now that you have a couple exciting young guys fitting into there, do you think John Means is still potentially your best pitcher on the 2021 staff, or do you think Brandon Hyde is going to give one of these young guys a chance to try to develop into an ace? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch. It's obviously exciting to now have a rotation that, and arguably the next good Orioles team, three of the starters in that rotation could already be in this rotation. So uh, I, I think it'll be interesting. Obviously, Keegan Aiken has had, had two strong starts before struggling against New York. Dean Kramer has been excellent in both of his outings. So I, I think the hope is that John Means kind of rebounds, uh, continues what he's done in these last two starts, carries that into a strong final month, and is able to look more like the picture he looked like in 2019 and most of 2021. Um, you know, Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken, I'm sure we'll see, you know, they'll have their ups and downs just like John Means has had this year and, and, and they'll build from that and they'll learn from that. And I think the hope is that eventually as the guys like 
Grayson Rodriguez, Deal Hall, Mike Bauman, and those guys are are, are pushing them. And, and the Orioles' rotation is full of this this homegrown, exciting these five homegrown, exciting pieces. I think it'll be really fun to watch. And then flipping over to the bullpen side, we have seen some great career years out of some guys that I don't think really any of us expected to be putting up the kind of performances that they have been. Tanner Scott has been very good. A little some bumps along the way. Uh, but he appears to be hitting the potential that we've heard about for several years now. Paul Fry is a lefty out of that bullpen, has been very solid for Brandon Hyde. Even Cole Sulser last night putting up a good performance after being moved out of that closer role. But is there anybody in that bullpen currently that is really impressing you or sticking out at this point in the season? Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned him. I think Tanner Scott's a guy that really struggled with his command a lot. Um, in his first few call-ups and now this year you just look at him he's he's been dominant like you mentioned a couple bumps on the bumps on the road but he's you know he's shut down inherited runners for the most part uh batters are hitting under 100 against his slider and they, nearly half the bats he's thrown that pitch they struck out on i think the richard blyer trade really surprised a lot of people because it was so early in the season the orioles were competitive but it really opened a door for tanner to move into a late inning role and he's thrived in it uh paul fry like you mentioned as well he's really been really been successful having a career year um, I, I think it's interesting how you look at the three trades the Orioles made in, in sending away relievers. They opened up opportunities for younger guys, whether that's the Richard Bly trade, giving more opportunities to Tanner Scott and Paul Fry, the Miguel Castro, and Michael Givens trade, giving opportunities to Hunter Harvey and Dylan Tate. There's a lot of young pieces in this Orioles bullpen right now. And it's really exciting to think, um, you know, as, as they get more experience and get more opportunities in these high leverage roles, uh, the confidence, the comfort that can develop there and, and the opportunities they'll have going forward. And somebody who's not very young in this bullpen is Cesar Valdez, who is a 35-year-old who had very little major league experience coming into the 2020 season. Brandon High calls on him now in some pretty high-leverage situations to pitch multiple innings out of the bullpen, and he has delivered yet to allow an earned run this season. How surprising has Cesar Valdez been for this Orioles team? I think it's almost easy to forget, you know, we talk about his age, we talk about his lack of major league experience. This guy has thrown a lot of innings in a lot of places. You know, he's pitched in China, he's pitched in the Dominican, he's pitched in Mexico, and he's had success in a lot of those places, just hasn't had success yet in the major leagues. And obviously to this point, he's been able to do that. Uh, I think it's obviously a guy who um, really knows his, his body, knows his stuff, knows his self. He's able to throw from multiple arm angles, really relies on what's been a great changeup. I think he just has so much time in using that pitch and learning his body and, and facing different kinds of hitters in different areas that I, I think he's just, I think that experience that I talked about earlier with those younger pitchers, that experience is really helping him be the successful pitcher he is at this level. And then back to one of the younger guys, Hunter Harvey, a guy who was excellent in the seven or so games that he got at the major league level last year. We know about his injury history. Do you think that there's as much excitement about Hunter Harvey? Obviously, we'll see what happens over these last two weeks, but would there be as much excitement about a Hunter Harvey going into the 2021 season as there was going into the 2020 season? Or do you think that might have been tampered a little bit uh, based on the, the kind of bumps in the road he has hit this season yeah it's kind of funny i think two of the things that we were most excited about heading into this season was a full season of austin hayes and a full season of hunter harvey and we got neither of those things at least you know we hope to maybe get an abbreviated season of both of them uh that doesn't end up happening hunter harvey this season uh just hasn't been getting the same strikeout numbers uh, hasn't has yet to get a swing and a miss on either of his off-speed pitches but 
like you mentioned, two weeks left. I think there's still so much to dream on in that arm. Obviously, you look at that cup of coffee last year, just immediately moving to the back end of Brandon Hyde's bullpen. I, I think, again, you know, we're going to talk about it next spring is a full season of Hunter Harvey. What does that look like? Um, if he's right and if he's healthy, it's such a weapon. And obviously, those two things are are pretty big factors as we've seen in his career. But I think there's still a lot of excitement around Hunter Harvey and this organization and what kind of piece he can be in their bullpen going forward. And there haven't been too many uh, less than bright spots in this bullpen, but we have seen a few. And, and Asher Wojnarowski is a guy who has struggled a whole lot, first in the role in the rotation and now in the bullpen, has been put in some tough spots and uh, has been given up some runs uh, in games that, like last night against the Rays, or against the Braves, rather, seemed winnable and uh, was giving up runs at, an, at a key time in the game. Where do you think Asher Wojciechowski fits into the offseason and 2021 picture? Do you think there is still any hope to reclaim him as a starter? Do you think he's a, a bullpen piece maybe into the 2021 season, or do you think he might not even make this club next year? Yeah, it's an interesting guy. and It's kind of unfortunate timing for him, given that I believe he is arbitration eligible after this season. So that's going to be part of the decision factor for him. I, it's, it's interesting because obviously given his age and given the pitching prospects they had on the way, you kind of thought eventually a move to the bullpen was in his future. But uh, when you look at him, he was a guy who last year, even if the results weren't always there, he had some really dominant starts and he generated a lot of swing and misses. Great strikeout pitcher at times. And that just hasn't necessarily translated in the same way to the same effectiveness this year. You thought, again, maybe a move to the bullpen with that pitch mix could be effective. And uh, obviously, he's gotten a couple opportunities, and that just hasn't been the case so far. Uh, you know, the Orioles have some pitching on the way, uh, and obviously a, couple, a wave of it has already started to arrive in Aiken and Kramer. But uh, Astro Wojciechowski in these last couple of weeks, he might have as much on the line in terms of his Orioles career as anyone does. Absolutely. And then just two weeks left in the regular season before we get into this offseason Probably going to be a busy one for the Orioles, but overall, uh, we were just talking earlier about on the podcast about the kind of timeline of this organization, and you know it's difficult to get. You shouldn't get caught up too much in a sixty-game season, but the Orioles certainly outperformed expectations for this year. Do you think the fact that they had a more successful year on the field than expected in twenty twenty might change the way Mike Elias approaches this offseason? I think you look at the trade deadline and, and it, I think you kind of can say probably not. You look at it. You Michael Givens could have been on this team next year. Miguel Castro could have been on this team next year. Richard Blyer could have been on this team next year. And all three of those guys got moved. Uh, obviously, Michael Elias is still focused on this long-term project. And like you mentioned, it's a 60-game season. I think it becomes easy. And if you just narrow your focus to that of saying, go all in, try to try to win a World Series and in this one opportunity, maybe you have a shot at it. But uh, you look at how good the Rays are. You look at what the Yankees are. You look at what the Blue Jays are building with their collection of young talent. Michael Elias wants to build this team into a consistent contender in the American League East. And when you look at the rest of the American League East and what's a terrible year for the Boston Red Sox, there's three other competitive teams that the Reds or the Orioles are still looking up at. So if the long-term goal is to be a contender rather than a one-hit wonder in the American League East, I think it makes sense that we're going to continue to see this team really focus on, on the long term. And obviously uh, losing a year of development in the minor league hurts. Uh, but I, I think getting the opportunities this year to see uh, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, a little bit more of Austin Hayes, a little bit more of Hunter Harvey, uh, the, the growth and development of an Anthony Santander, even a DJ Stewart, a Tanner Scott, I think there's been a lot of exciting pieces, a lot of growth. I don't know if it necessarily speeds anything up, but I think it shows that there are pieces already in place here that, that might be around by the time the Orioles are a true contender again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael Elias will certainly have his hands full sorting out all the different pieces this offseason. But Nathan, what do you have planned 
for yourself this offseason, considering it is just right around the corner? Yeah, it's hard to know, given the, the nationwide circumstances of what exactly is in store. Uh, ho- you know, hopefully right about some baseball. The Orioles, I'm sure, will make some moves. Um, they'll have some opportunities to make some improvements, so be on the lookout for those. Uh, probably continue with my uh, coronavirus coverage and, and enjoy the holidays a little bit, hopefully. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for hopping on the Mass and All Access podcast to lend your analysis. Yeah, Paul. Th- again, thanks for having me. That just about does it for the Mass and All Access podcast. Remember to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and we'll see you next time.